Well, a couple of weeks ago, I began this new consecutive expository series in Paul's epistle or letter to the Ephesians. It may have been one church, it may have been a number of churches around the Ephesus area. But in either case, last week, Paul enumerated for us the first of a number of great blessings that God has bestowed upon us in his beloved son, Jesus Christ. And that last week, the first blessing is God's sovereign choice of a people for himself, calling us out of darkness into his marvelous light before the foundation of the world, claiming us as his own. And what a comfort and what a blessing that is intended to be. Paul is stoking, he's stoking the fires of joy and celebration because of what the Father has done in calling us and bringing us out of every tribe and tongue and nation a people unto himself that will be to his glory and praise. But that's not all. That's just one of the blessings. There's more to come. So today, if you turn with me in your Bibles or on your devices or look on the screen, depending to our scripture reading, Ephesians chapter 1 Verses 7 through 10. I remind you that this is the word of the Lord. Hear it carefully. In him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Which he lavished upon us. In all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. The word of the Lord. One of our favorite, and I mean our, I'm referring to my lovely wife Louise, one of our favorite movies is the 1994 action comedy film True Lies. Now some of you remember that. Some of you younger folk don't know what I'm talking about. Or maybe you've watched your parents watching it uh, uh, on reruns and so forth. But True Lies starred none other than Arnold Schwarzenegger, the governator, um, and Jamie Lee Curtis. And unknowns to Jamie Lee, her husband is a spook. He's a high-level James Bond-like figure. But she doesn't know that, and she thinks he's having an affair, all kind of things, ultimately getting a lot of trouble over a nuclear, uh, trying to disarm a nuclear bomb. And unfortunately, Jamie gets captured, and she is going across, but they, they, one of the air, air, uh, airplanes blew up the bridge. 
across the keys and she doesn't see and know she's fighting with the girl that's got her captive and she doesn't realize it that the bridge is out and Arnold's in the helicopter leaning down trying to reach for her and he said the bridge is out the bridge is out and she doesn't she doesn't hear and she can't finally the last minute of course he reaches down and snatches her from her demise and of course, happily, they live ever after, so forth. Okay, so you get the idea. The bridge is out. Well, that's our problem. That's my problem, your problem, and every other inhabitant of planet Earth. Because the bridge is out. It's been out since the fall. The first day of the fall. The bridge is out. And we are in captivity and darkness. This is mankind's problem. And unless we get rescued, saved, if you will, if we get, unless we get rescued by someone else reaching down and pulling us out, we also will perish. But Paul is telling us today to take heart. He's got some great news for us because there is an, a rescue plan. God has in Christ a rescue plan in place and it's called redemption. There is a redeemer in God's plan. God's blessings introduced last week, verses 3 through 6, and now it continues in verses 7 through 10, which describes God's redemption for us, or uh, excuse me, his redemption of us, his revelation to us, and a reclamation plan to ultimately unite all things in Jesus Christ, the Redeemer. So that's our outline. Real simple. The redemption, the revelation, and the reclamation. The redemption, the revelation, and the reclamation. Let's see where it goes. Redemption, that's given by Paul in the first two verses of our scripture reading. Verses 7 and 8. Paul starts right to the point. He gets right to the point, And in verse 7 he says, we have redemption through his blood. We have in Christ. We have redemption through his blood. Now, the word redemption, as most of you probably know, it goes back, it has roots in Greek, and it has to do with basically in the original idea of setting free a captive or a slave by paying a ransom. In other words, that, free, that, that redemption comes at a price. And in the New Testament, it serves, the word redemption serves as a metaphor for our redemption and our deliverance from sin, guilt, and death. That's the more proper New Testament context of the meaning. But originally, it's ransoming captives to freedom. Redemption is the payment of a ransom price. But what was that price that God paid, that Christ paid for 
our redemption. What was that price? Well, it was nothing less than the life of God's only son, his only begotten son. It is through the blood. Did you notice that? It's a ransom, a redemption through his blood. And that, of course, refers to the sacrificial death of Christ on the cross. A couple of passages highlight and underscore that as well as many others. Hebrews 9, 12 and Mark 10, 45. It says he, referring to Jesus, entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood. It's the very same, same language and structure that Paul is using. Thus, securing an eternal redemption. And then in Mark 10.45, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So this idea of buying us back from destruction, from death and guilt and sin, Jesus Christ has done that as our Redeemer. And as a result of such a gracious sacrifice, what happened? Paul said that, re that Redeemer's work, paying back the price of sin, results in our forgiveness. Our remission. Some of your Bibles may see the word remission, but it's Remission is usually translated forgiveness. The result of this gracious and unbelievable sacrifice is the forgiveness of our sins. His sacrificial payment of the price of sin results in forgiveness for all our sins, past, present, and future. We need to note well, because a lot of people don't really understand or believe what I just said. They think God maybe somehow gave us a head start. And then the rest of it's up to us to be able to pull ourselves out of the mess of sin that we have made of this world. Note well that Jesus didn't pay such an extravagant price in order to clear the slate for us and then say, okay, you're on your own from here. Go for it. He didn't do that. You don't pay the price that Jesus paid for redemption. And then all it's got in is enough to clear the baggage from the past. Now it's up to you to keep it upright. What an insult to the grace and mercy of our great Savior, our great Redeemer. No, His redemption is complete. Child of God, it is total. It covers past, present, and future that is how powerful, that is how great, that is how glorious and how wonderful and amazing such grace is. Listen to this quote from John Calvin. And then also this quote from Micah 
7.19. John Calvin says, God puts our sins out of his remembrance and drowns them in the depths of the sea. And moreover, receives the payment that was offered him in the person of his only son. Micah says, 7.19 says this, you will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. Isn't that a beautiful? You will, Jesus, you will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. A lot of you know that I love a hymn, and we've done it here before. I really hope we can get where we can do it again sometime. It's just glorious, glorious gospel words and truth. The name of the hymn is His Be the Victor's Name. And, and part of, of the sort of the uh, bridge in that song of this incredible, glorious gospel truth alludes to that, uses that allusion from Micah and from what Calvin was alluding to. And it says this, my sin is cast into the sea of God's forgotten memory. No more to haunt accusingly, for Christ has lived and died for me. My sin is cast into the sea of God's forgotten memory. He doesn't remember anymore your sins against you. No more to haunt accusingly. That's not your father's voice that haunts. No more to haunt accusingly, for Christ has lived and died for me. For you if you were his. Oh, what grace. What a redeemer. But you see, the real question should be, why would he do this for the likes of us? Why would he do this? Listen to this quote by Richard Koken. Why would God do such a magnificent thing? When we have treated him with such contempt... It's not because of anything in us, but because of something sensational in him. It's all happened in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. Verse 7 and 8 of our text. God redeemed us only because he is absolutely wealthy in grace. His undeserved kindness Grace, listen, is not a kind of strength we receive through the sacraments of the church to live better lives. God's grace is his costly gift to us in Jesus Christ. And it is well summarized by that acrostic grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. That's what we have in our Redeemer. But now there's a revelation here in this text as well. Verse 9. Having already lavished on us the riches of his grace in the present, Paul begins to focus on the future blessings of our redemption. It's going to get better. Not only has he saved us and snatched us out and delivered us and bought us back, but now he's got big plans for us. We're not only redeemed from punishment, but for something more wonderful than we can ever imagine. Something that was long hidden 
but is now coming to light in verse 9. You see, the Ephesians had been brought up in the fear of the Greek occult mystery religions. They were all around them, all surrounding them. They, they were brought up in that paganism, in those mystery religions. But Paul will explain in chapter 3 in more detail, but he's starting to tell us now there is a mystery, a secret of what God is doing in the world that has not yet been made clear, but is going to be made clear and ultimately achieved in Christ. And he, as one of God's Christ's apostles, is making this proclamation now. He is telling the world that there is a new day coming. There is a new world order, but it's not the kind that most in this planet imagine. It is not something that men will do. It is something that will only come about in Christ and in his purposes. You see, God redeemed people to be a part of a new order to come. And he started with his church. We're the first fruits of that, but oh, there's so much more to come. You see, such a plan had long been a mystery, a secret that could only be known through divine revelation. It couldn't be known through human reason. That's how humans try to figure everything out, and they can't understand why they don't have the whole picture. They can't get it all from reason. It had to come from revelation. Ephesians 3, 3, how the mystery was made known to me, Paul said, by the revelation, meaning the revelation of God, of what God's up to, what his master plan is. You see, the plan of God, Paul says, has been revealed in the do you hear, see that word? Fullness of time. Now what does that mean? That's basically the right time. The appropriate time. The God-ordained time. That's when God is going to bring this about. It's not all going to get fixed here and now. We would like it to. We'd like to see it improve, wouldn't we? But it's not. But that doesn't mean that it's not coming and that it's certain to be accomplished. You see, because of that promise, because of God saying not only has redemption of our souls and our lives and bodies been, been accomplished in Christ, but now we are going to be part of something so big and so amazing. And therefore, there is a future to this world until that new world comes. That new heavens and earth comes. You see, we must not share the pessimism and the despair of our age. There's a lot to be discouraged about, but there's a lot to be encouraged about, and it's in this book. That's where we go. We don't go to read the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal we go to sacred scripture to know how the story will end. 
And who will be the hero? And who will be the head? And who will preside over all things? You see, Paul says, in the fullness of time, when that comes, there will be, in verse 10, a reclamation. In verse 10, Paul says that God has now revealed his eternal plans. Not just the short-term plans, but for all eternity when the times reach their fulfillment. You know what this means? If God is saying that, and Paul is telling us here that the, the time ultimately appointed is going to reach its fulfillment in the future. But until then, you and I don't have to be concerned that there is no future. Do you realize that? That's what the implication. Read your Bible, and if it says the story ends this way, and we think it's the way things are looking now, we're trying to judge by the present, we're going to be very, very off in our estimation and our understanding. We can and should have confidence about the future because it is his story. In Christ, he has got an amazing plan. You see, contrary to the speculations of what is called open theism, there are theologians that basically adhere to something called open theism, and that's essentially saying, well, God himself really doesn't know. He's kind of put some things out there and hoping that, that the bets pay off, but he really doesn't know. He can't be sure if it's going to really turn out the way he intended Hogwash. Nonsense. It's not true. God has not left any part of his plan at risk. Nothing that he has purposed is going to be thwarted by the powers of this world or the next. You know what this means practically? Believe it or not, we got more than 12 years before Everything goes to hell in a handbasket. I know there are people telling you now, that's all we got. Planet's going to be smoked after that. We're going to be out. We're all out of here. We're all done. We're finished. Stick a fork in us. We got to hurry up. That's a lie. That's scare tactics to accomplish a purpose other than the purpose of God. And you know what? There's a further, further faith application here. Listen, I'm particularly talking to some of our younger brothers and sisters. I'm talking to some of the younger ones among us. Don't be afraid of the future. Don't live in fear of the future. Oh, we don't know. There will be wars and rumors of war. All those things will happen in a normal course of of things in planet earth until but we don't need to live afraid we don't need to be so afraid we're in, or we, we don't even know if we should bring children into the world and there are many that are thinking like that look at how the book ends listen to what Paul is telling us and have greater hope than that so what's the plan? 
Nothing short of a complete reclamation. You know what a reclamation is? It's a salvage project. It's going and finding everything that's been trashed and torn up and re-putting everything back together again. It's a reclaiming of what is rightfully to be. Reclamation is defined as the process of claiming something back or asserting a right. By the way, I got a new acrostic for you. S-I-A-C-J. <laughs> That's not very memorable. <laughs> but I bet you'll remember it when I tell you. Satan is a claim jumper. That's what those letters stand for. Satan is a claim jumper. It's not rightfully his. And Jesus is going to take it back. He is the one that is going to be victorious. Satan's a squatter. God's awesome plan, this text says in verse 10, is to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under the reign and rule of Christ, our Redeemer. Everything is going to find its proper, appropriate place in Him. Where there's judgment needed to be meted out, He will take care of that. Where there's glory to be given, He will take care of that. And it will involve so many players. You see, clearly all things don't mean all mankind will be saved. That's called universalism and it smells like smoke. But what does it mean? It includes Christians both living like us here today and within the sound of my voice, but it also includes the society of the dead, our brothers and sisters that have gone before us, Christians living and dead, the church on earth and the church in heaven where our loved ones in Christ are waiting for us. You see, and it's more than that that's going to be subsumed in Christ and brought together in Christ and unified in Him, in His reign. It's not only that, no doubt the angels are there and a part of this too. And we will sing the song of Moses and the Lamb with them and they with us. But you know it's more than that. This surely includes the liberation of the whole creation which has been subject to futility. Remember what Paul said in Romans 1? In Romans 8? You see, heaven and earth will no longer in that day contain anything that is alien, alien or discordant. Anything that is off-kilter, strange, those elements will be removed from the kingdom to come. And in the fullness of time, the whole new heavens and new earth will be united in Christ as the supreme head of both. 
Now this morning in Sunday school, we had a little discussion and uh, I'm going to tell you how this fits into one of the topics we were talking about. We're talking about how, is this in, in Christ? It, what does it mean to be preeminent? Well, I'm going to read from Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. And listen, if this doesn't pull it all together and what I'm saying today, this is what God plans in his son to accomplish. He, meaning Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. In other words, he's got something to do with what all these things were created in the future. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together, the glue of the universe. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. There's that word. But what, all, what does that mean? For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things. Same language Paul uses here, all things. That's what he's going to reconcile. That's what he's going to bring together. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Our redemption in our preeminent Savior, our preeminent Redeemer. Brothers and sisters, if you were to go to the city of Ephesus. I told you that was the only bummer on our footsteps of Paul journey. We got to see some wonderful places where Paul was um, and one that we didn't expect, and that was cool. That was, that was uh, um, uh, but uh, we didn't get to Ephesus because there was unrest at the time. It wouldn't let, wouldn't let ships come in. And so it didn't actually get to see that. But if you did get to, or if you have been, or you, if you will in the future go, you can go to the ruins in Ephesus, and you can see the remnants of a statue depicting the Roman emperor Trajan with his foot on a globe of the world. This Roman emperor standing there with his foot on the earth, signifying, I'm king of the world. I rule it all. I can grind it to powder with my foot, if I will. But what you will see, if you do go, all you will see is his foot. Everything else is gone. 
And his rule has long since ended, and it never accomplished anything outside of his pathetic dreams. But I'll tell you, there is one that will rule over this world and any other thing in this whole created order. And he shall reign forevermore. He shall reign forevermore. So we sing in Chris Tomlin's song. And there is only one head of the church and the cosmos, and his name is Jesus, our blessed Redeemer. Amen. And he will bring his will to pass. Amen. Father, thank you for the promise of your work as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Oh, triune God, we bless you and we thank you for the sacrifice of your Son, for his redemption and for his forgiveness and for the promise, Father, that one day all things will be brought together and united in him and in you and the Holy Spirit. Oh, Father, Thank you for that hope and that promise. Help us to live in light of it and walk with you with faith and faithfulness. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.